So we're reading from Luke chapter 19, uh, verses 28 to 44. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is the word of the Lord. Um, we live in an age fixated um, with celebrities. Um, now, don't get me wrong, people have always been famous. Um, celebrity culture, though, is slightly different. It, um, it's been described, celebrity has been described as fame's shinier, slightly obnoxious cousin. I like that. Um, it's supercharged by the mass media. Now, why do I say that? For this reason. Three years before this date, Palm Sunday, Jesus was tempted to seek celebrity status. Henri Nguyen, an amazing Roman Catholic writer, and I would recommend anything by Henri Nguyen, he described the temptations of Jesus in the desert as a temptation to be relevant, spectacular, and powerful. In other words, Jesus was tempted to adopt the mechanisms and, and the, the ways of the world in getting his message across. Um, but he refused. And so for nearly three years, Jesus chose obscurity. It's quite an interesting reflection, that. Um, he chose to keep, by and large, out of the limelight. You know, there were times he did things, these times he healed people, and what did he say? Shh! Don't tell anyone. Keep quiet. Don't tell anyone. Keep it to yourself. In, in fact, theologians have called this the messianic secret. He wanted, as it were, to fly 
under the radar until now. This entry into Jerusalem. Three years keeping out the spotlight, deliberately flying under the radar. For three years, he walked everywhere. Now he's, he's riding on a donkey. Three years, he avoids publicity. Now, Jesus embraces it. Why is this? Why is this? There's a real contrast. Something different is now happening. And maybe as we look at these uh, verses, familiar verses, maybe we need to think how we are called to recognize and receive God's purpose, God's plan, God's judgment. Luke ends this account, verse 44, with these words. You did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. That was their problem, wasn't it? You did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And their problem is, is often the same as ours, and that is their understanding was in fact a misunderstanding. Here's the first one. Will I recognize God's purpose? Verse 28, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now, from a human perspective, you would agree with me, this was a bad idea. It really was. You know, because we know the story, we have the t-shirt, we've seen the film, we'd want to say, no, Jesus, don't do that. Don't go to Jerusalem. It was pretty clear by now what would happen. Jerusalem was not a safe place. But the cross, you see, was not some sort of tragic accident. Jesus was not an innocent victim of circumstances. Jesus was not the kind of, all oh, the right person but in the wrong place. It's very interesting when you look at the gospel narratives from now on and the terrible things which happened. Actually, strangely, mysteriously, Jesus seems to be completely in control. He almost seems to be the one who is directing these events. And so, of course, we have this incident here uh, where Jesus goes and, and tells people to go in and, and find the cult. And we have this little kind of incident which puts Jesus completely in control. There's a number of other incidents like that as we head into this holy week. Jesus is in control. He's directing these events. And so this coming to, to, to Jerusalem is the culmination and result and determined decision to do this. Not because, by the way, this fitted into Jesus' travel itinerary. Um, you can have, they're really, if, you're, if you're traveling a lot, you can actually have um, things on an app, and it's really quite useful. If you've got connections, um, they download, there, there we go, um, uh, Vicky, um, and um, all your bookings um, are taken mysteriously and magically by email and put onto an app. Really useful. It's not that Jesus had this kind of travel app, and he thought, oh, yeah, I, I, I fancy a kind of B&B in Jerusalem at this time. No. It's quite interesting. Jesus went to Jerusalem. Why? It fulfilled God's purpose. Luke 9, 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. You see, this was no surprise to Jesus. This was part of God's purpose. Not accidental. It was deliberate. It was designed. Speaking about the suffering servant, the king who would come, the Messiah, in Isaiah 50, it says, 
because the sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. I have set my face like flint. And Jesus was doing that. This was something he chose. He knew what was going to happen. It was a deliberate, decisive act because he was fulfilling God's purpose. Luke 13, 22, Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Jesus had an appointment to keep. But it's an appointment which had been put in Jesus' diary well in advance. This was not a last-minute addition. I sometimes look at my diary, and because I've added something at the last minute, I look and think, what on earth does that mean in my diary? I have no idea. I was the one who put it there, but I have no idea what it means. And actually, I deliberately try and not put appointments in my diary too far into the future. Because the further I look into the future, the less certain I am. And therefore, um, I, I, this is, the, okay, this is completely off message. Um, but this is just being grumpy. Sometimes couples see me and they say, oh, we want to get married. I said, yeah, that's great. We'll book it in. You know, when do you want to get, oh, five years time? I mean, honestly, I said, get married now. I mean, uh, anyway, that's, but this had been in Jesus's diary for hundreds and hundreds of years. When you look at each of the four Gospels explaining this event, how, how do they do it? They do it this way. They just do it with quotations from the Old Testament. Have you noticed that? It even looks different, doesn't it? Because they're, they're using quotations. A and so often, Jesus' ministry is explained with verses from the Old Testament. So Psalm, uh, verse 34 is Psalm 118. Verse 40 is Habakkuk 2. In Matthew's Gospel, again, quotations from Psalm 118, Zechariah 9. Mark, Psalm 118, allusion to 2 Samuel 7. John, Psalm 118, Zechariah 9. C.S. Lewis said this, One of the rewards of reading the Old Testament regularly is that you keep on discovering more and more what a tissue of quotations from it the New Testament is. The New Testament is, is just a collection of quotations from the Old Testament. I don't know if you saw that interview with Donald Trump and um, someone wanted to him to talk about his his own personal faith now yeah that that all right so ha 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 I mean it was basically just a flag of convenience and someone said oh, what's your favorite what's your favorite Bible verse and it's amazing he knew what the Bible was actually anyway he said and he said oh I, I, I've got lots but I'm a New Testament man sometimes people say, oh I'm an, I'm a New Testament Jesus was an Old Testament person. Jesus was an Old Testament person. Because he explains his ministry by quoting from the Old Testament. Why did Jesus enter Jerusalem? Well, then you look to the Old Testament. This was part of God's big purpose, his grand design, preparation from the beginning. This had been put in Jesus' diary right from the beginning of creation. Because if you want to understand the cross, you need to see God's plan. Paul says this in Ephesians 1. He says, God made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. In other words, God has a plan. And, and, and this plan um, was purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. The this was the time. The times were beginning to reach their fulfillment. And then he says, 
What was this big picture? To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Now, okay, this is the problem. We tend to think that these events are kind of religious, spiritual events, and by and large, their meaning is my private, personal meaning to me. Okay? But, although they do have a personal meaning to me, they only have that because first and foremost, it is part of God's plan from the dawn of time to redeem and renew and save the whole of his creation. In other words, God has a plan and a purpose in history. This is not about me receiving some sort of spiritual inner comfort, though we do receive comfort. No, this is part of God's cosmic plan to redeem the whole of creation. Wow. We need to get that, don't we? So that actually sometimes when we, when we read the Scriptures, when we come and worship, rather than just thinking, oh, what has this got to say to me? We need to think, what, is this, what has this got to say to God's creation? This is part of God's big plan. And you see, when we read the Gospels in particular, they are not understandable apart from the Old Testament. If you do not read the Old Testament, you will not understand the Gospels. Why? Because Jesus again and again and again said, if you want to know, if you want to understand, you need to go back and you start to see God's plan, God's big purpose unveiled. You see, apart from the Old Testament, we, d we don't see the God who created the cosmos. Apart from the Old Testament, we don't see that, that creation fell into rebellion. Apart from the Old Testament, we don't see God's purpose to redeem the whole of his creation through drawing a specific people, Israel, to himself. But then that this would filter out to the whole world as God's Messiah would come. So that's quite a big thing when we approach Holy Week, isn't it? It is not just about what is God saying to me personally. It's not just about our own spirituality. This is part of God's big plan. That's quite different, isn't it? Here's the second one. Will I recognize God's plan, God's purpose to redeem creation? But how would he do that? How would he do that? Again, Jesus makes it clear. Luke 18, 31 to 34, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem. There we go. And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Can you see what he's saying? If you want to understand what's going to happen, you need to know this great purpose which God has. Where do I read that? The Old Testament. He will be turned over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. God's plan predicted and prefigured for centuries. You see, they were looking for a savior. They were looking for a messiah. They were looking for a king. They were looking for David's son, which is why on this Palm Sunday, he gets the red carpet treatment. That's exactly what is happening here. It's the equivalent of the red carpet. So that they um, put out uh, their cloaks in Luke, uh, palm leaves and cloaks in the other gospels, which was why? Because they saw this was the sort of treatment a coming king should get, the equivalent of a red carpet. You know, we see celebrities, don't we, important people. We see monarchs 
walking on red carpets. This was exactly what was happening here. And the people saw Jesus as the king, the promised one, and they were giving him that red carpet treatment. The problem was this. They were misdiagnosing the problem. For these people, the problem was out there. The problem was out there. You know, what did Monty Python say? What have the Romans ever done for us? So the problem were, were the Romans. The problem were those people who are occupying our country. And, and if we want to be free, if we want to worship God, then, then we need a Messiah who will come and kick these people out. By the way, there were lots of other wannabe Messiahs who tried to do that in this time frame too. Because that's what they saw the problem was. <laughs> but of course, the king, in their eyes, would come and bring victory but they were looking at the wrong enemies there. But if they knew the Scriptures, they would know that the, the problem was far deeper. Isaiah 53, Surely he took up our infirmities, he carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The problem wasn't out there. The problem was in here. He was the king, but he was the king who would come and save them, not from an external enemy, but from the problem in here. And Jesus, in entering Jerusalem this way, wants to publicize what he was about to do. He sets aside the obscurity and publicizes this because his hour had come. It was time for Israel to see and take note. And so he publicly rode into Jerusalem. He was publicly seen and heard in the city. He was publicly brought before Pilate and condemned. He was publicly led forth to Calvary and nailed to a cross. He came not to save Israel from the enemy out there, but he came to save them from the enemy in here, their sin our sin, because the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. He would come as the king, but as a servant, in a way totally unexpected, and he would die, as Isaiah says, as our substitute. They were expecting a savior, but not this kind of savior. You see, the problem is not out there. This passage says the problem is in here. The problem's in me. And that requires within us humility and honesty. Because if I am and, and to receive Jesus as Savior, I need to come humbly and honestly and realize my need of him, which is what these people were not doing. They were triumphant because they thought that Jesus was going to kick out the Romans. But actually, the diagnosis is very different. Jesus came to sort out the problem every single human being has at their very core that by birth we come as people who are separated from God and full of sin. And I need to receive that for myself, which is why as we approach this week of all weeks, then we come with that sense of humility and honesty as we need to see our need of him who died. Here's the final point. Recognize God's judgment. Do you know, it's strange, as they cheered and celebrated Jesus, how did he respond? And again, this is, this is by contrast. There are so many contrasts here. 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept 
over it. He wept over it. They were cheering. They were creating a noise. Jesus was weeping. And this is a really difficult passage, this. Because Jesus reminds us that the cross is both a demonstration of God's love, but also his judgment, which is actually an aspect of his love. And when I don't recognize Jesus for who he is, I place myself under God's judgment and beyond his saving power. You see, I can either stand before God on my own terms or on Jesus' terms. That's my choice. What will it be? I can trust my own record or Jesus' record. I can trust in my goodness or his perfection. The worst thing to do, and you've heard me say this many times, so please, please, don't choose this for your funeral hymn. Don't choose, I did it my way. That places, that places me under God's judgment. So you, you, you can do it your way or his way. <laughs> Choice, isn't it? And, and this is a really difficult verse because this verse was fulfilled in AD 70. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on one another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This alludes, by the way, to, to a verse from the Psalms, Psalm 137. It's one of the most famous Psalms, by the rivers of Babylon. But there is a verse at the end of that which is so problematic, so terrible, that it's even missed out in some lectionaries. And, and it is, it's probably one of the, the most troubling verses in the whole of the Scriptures, because at the end of that, we see God's judgment on Babylon. God's judgment and God's... This is what it says. Um, o daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall be he who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he who takes your little ones and dashes them to the rocks. The problem is, what Jesus is saying is an allusion to that. In fact, it's the, it's the same phrase. So Jesus says, they will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't be concerned about God's judgment on your enemies. God's judgment is going to come on you in the same way. This is, this is a very, this is, uh, it, 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 it's, it's terrible. God's judgment. Why? Because you did not recognize the time of his coming. These words came, again, literally to fulfillment um, 40 years later. But then, of course, in the creed, what do we say? He will come to judge the living and the dead. But note his heart. Jesus does this while he's weeping. He's weeping over these people and their rejection. They're falling under judgment. Bishop um, J.C. Ryle said, how great is the tenderness and compassion of Christ towards sinners. God is sometimes pleased and gives men special opportunities and invitations. Jesus came to the Jews in person as the Messiah, but they failed to recognize him and chose to reject him. This was a special opportunity and invitation. But today now is also such an opportunity. God gives us the time now 
The time of God's coming to us is now, this moment, this second, in time, in this place, is a time of invitation, a time of coming to Him. So this Easter, are we going to come uh, and open our lives and our hearts and our minds to seek Him? These people didn't. But we're called out of God's grace and mercy to seek Him, this desire and hunger to know Him. In humility, we come to Him as our Savior. We recognize God's big purpose. We recognize God's saving plan so that we can escape God's judgment. And, and this week is, is one of those opportunities, those special invitations to draw near to Him and receive from Him and hear from Him. That's grace, isn't it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, and we pray that we may be people who would honor you and welcome you as king with humility, with a sense of our need and desperation, that we may be a people who come before you in repentance and in a new way this week to receive from you your love, the hope, and the life which your death and resurrection accomplished for us. May we be your people who give you true honor and praise, for we ask it in Jesus' name.